the curmudgeon rock report. Curmudgeon rhymes with bludgeon. Rock gods do it right. So do rock nerds. We're here for the rock. 1965, 2021, doesn't matter. Crude, rude, yet somehow sophisticated. Welcome. Enjoy the show. We suspect you needed a little bit more curmudgeonly love in your life, so here we are again. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is uh, Christopher O'Connor uh, recording in and chiming in from uh, just outside of Houston, Texas. And then, of course, as always, uh, the man, uh, the myth, uh, the asshole, Arturo Andrade from Guangzhou, <laughs> South Korea. What's going on, brother? Thank you for that lovely introduction. You know, it's kind oh, of weird. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, today's episode, we're doing the 20 best bands slash artists in modern rock. However, interestingly enough, our, our parallel universe recommendations and our vault recommendations are, for the most part, decidedly non-rock. Yeah, pretty much. I just, I just, yeah. I just noticed that. We're doing R&B, soul, and hip-hop for the most part <laughs> yeah yeah pretty pretty much i mean it, it, it kind of uh you know it's uh uh the direct opposite of the meat uh, yeah. of, this, of this here sandwich uh for sure just just when just when you think we're gonna zig we're gonna zag zaggity 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 absolutely <laughs> Welcome uh, to our parallel universe. Uh, as we've said in the past, this is the uh, the world that uh, we have created. Uh, you know, maybe we're H.P. Lovecraft uh, or one of those guys. We have a a universe where things are upside down, and the unpopular is popular. Uh, the uncool is cool. Uh, the stuff that doesn't sell is plastered on the covers of the Rolling Stone and on the billboards. And so uh, here's where we get to talk about artists that we think ought to be huge and should at least be huge with you uh, in your crates here in uh, 2021. Uh, on that note, Arturo, who, yeah. uh, who are you focused on uh, this week in the Feral Universe? Well, I am focusing on a recently released record by a woman who goes, her real name is Aria Wells, but her... Uh, artist name or her stage name is green tea peng p-e-n-g right green tea because she she loves green tea i guess anyway she is a london-based british r&b soul singer who describes her music as psychedelic r&b and really that is quite an apt description um and the name the name of the album is man made it is her debut album came out this year. Now, Green Tea, Green Tea Peng, she was born to an Arab father and an African mother, and she's from the London area, and she lived the expat life, which I am an expat myself, and she lived that life in Tulum, Mexico for several years, working various jobs at hotels and as a yoga instructor. 
And then, well, sometime, at some point, she started singing at open mic nights at some bars, and soon enough, she got the music bug, eventually joining a band and making more money performing there than in her regular jobs. She returned to London. She hooked up with a producer named Earbuds. <laughs> I'm, sure that's not, I'm sure that's not his real name. And... <laughs> <laughs> and recorded and released her debut EP, Sensi, in 2018. The next year, she released another EP called Rising, and that EP produced a single called Downers, and that the video and the song was a huge YouTube hit, garnering 2.5 million views. So that was kind of like wow. a breakthrough. Uh-huh. Uh, and now this brings us to her excellent debut album, Man Made, like I said, released this year. Imagine Erica Badu, or better yet, peak period, late 90s, early noughties Erica, doing trip-hop and dub reggae. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought Chardet, personally. Chardet, a little bit of that in there. You can also hear echoes of Massive Attack and Lee Scratch Perry. Yes. But not but not so much that she's ripping them off. She assimilates rather than regurgitates her influences, and the result is a uniquely trippy, groovy, funky, hip-hop-inflected mix. Standout tracks, my recommendations. The jazz funk groover, Nah, It Ain't the Same, which is the, one of the singles, kind of recalls low-end theory era Tribe Called Quest. Uh, there's the heavily tripped out funk of the one-two punch of the first two tracks, Make Noise and This Sound. And then you have the sweaty, lo-fi, dirty funk of the album closer. Uh, uh, what's it called? Gymtastic Blues, which sounds oddly like Luscious Jackson. Is <laughs> uh, <laughs> it the beat of the world? I love that band. That yes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big Luscious Jackson fan yeah. myself. My only complaint with the album is that it's a little too long. Uh, The middle of the record has some filler, a few too many overly mellow, same-sounding grooves that wouldn't be out of place in a corny, gentrified bar in lower Manhattan. (laughs) But uh, that's a small complaint regarding what is otherwise, in my opinion, so far the best R&B album of the year. Okay. Uh, I I guess I won't comment too much because... As it turns out, we are doing the yin and yang of modern British electro R&B uh, house music. Uh, uh, you know, green, green Tea is, yeah, she's very, very good. Uh, however, I would uh, uh, venture to say that uh, my uh, selection from pretty much this uh, a similar tree is better, uh, which is funny yeah. because you turned me on to them. So, yeah, yeah, salt, uh, yeah this, this band is awesome. I'm a big fan of this band. Yeah, and so uh, to to kind of segue, so yeah, Green Tea Pang, yeah, she's she's pretty awesome. And again, I, I hear a lot of Sade, and then obviously Massive Attack. Speaking of Massive Attack, they're kind of the uh, the, the spiritual godfathers of this whole thing. Uh, so salt, uh, that's not salt as in what you sprinkle. It's not a salt and battery. It's salt, S A U L T. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, this uh, group. Uh, so Salt is an amusement park ride through 50 plus years of R&B, funk, disco, and house music, uh, as well as a little bit of reverence for gospel. Uh, this British group, 
may be the only band slash studio project I've ever heard that within 45 seconds makes me think, hey, I hear, I hear Curtis Mayfield, and hey, I hear Tricky, and hey, I hear A Tribe Called Quest. Uh, yeah. And for, for what it matters, also the Beastie Boys. So uh, this band tends to filter the Black Soul experience through a decidedly EDM lens, which makes them pretty awesome. Uh, the band's latest album is called Nine, which is a 34-minute infusion of knob-twiddling, cold rocking, and textured grandeur. Uh, emphasis on textured. Uh, I'm not so sure that there's an individually great song on this album, uh, but man, it would be a great soundtrack for drinks with friends at a crowded lounge. Uh, it's a fantastical, uh, consistently chill mood piece uh, that winds down with real heartache and longing uh, with this uh, piano sprinkled ballad at the end called Lights in Your Hands. Uh, I would not say that this is quite as good as uh, 2020's uh, Untitled Black Is. Uh, I think that's their best record. It, that one is incredibly rich and uh, it's really intoxicating sonically uh, and is very influenced by uh, sort of the Alan Lomax kind of thing with uh, gospel uh, vocals and, uh, and echoes. And it's just very, uh, very cool. And so really, you know, this kind of art installation retro black seventies thing uh, has uh, sprung up quite a bit over the past couple of decades, uh, especially in the UK. Uh, Salt though may just be the best of the post massive attack, post tricky bunch uh, to honor a personal hero of mine, Roger Ebert, two enthusiastic thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, salt salt's really good. They're very prolific. Um, they've been putting out a lot of music. Um, yep. the, the, the main guy in Salt, uh, his name is Inflow. That's his yeah. stage name, I guess. Or his, his, I his, am FLO. Yeah, um, he actually uh, co-wrote um, a song um, by uh, Michael, Michael Kiwanuka. Right, yeah. his, his his most famous song to date, "Black Man in a White World." Inflow oh, yeah. co- Inflow co-wrote that song. Um, salt, salt, yeah, salt are great. I, I think their best album is their first one, the debut from 2019. It's just called Five, as in number five. Um, and they've been kind of refining that formula for like the for the net for the last couple of years. I put them at, the way I describe them. It's classic, you know, early 70s R and B soul funk, plus classic 70s Afro beat. You know, Phil yeah. uh heavy Fela Kuti influence plus early 80s new wave pop plus a really strong dose of 90s neo soul yeah um, I I do hear a bit of D'Angelo in here sometimes with them yeah I hear a bit of again I'm going to name checker again Erica Badu yeah. um and uh, they really are a black music jukebox um, yeah yeah. And I also would say some Detroit House is in there too. Yeah, a little bit of that too. Yeah, they're they're really eclectic and they put yeah. out a lot of stuff, but most of their stuff most of their albums are really good. Like I said, I yeah. think a 5 5 is the best one and the one I really like is Untitled Rise from last yeah. year, 2020. Yeah, which is also good, but I'm I'm yeah. a bigger fan of Black Is. Yeah. Um I mean there's that's just a um uh that there's something going on there that's just kind of a um, a purposeful uh project and uh, achievement uh, yeah. for sure yeah so, the, the the new album's called nine um the, the, the best songs on it me I, I like i like alcohol the ballad is like a big torch yeah. song ballad beautiful song uh that one you from london which is really funny it's kind of uh lyrically just goofing on 
the stupidity and the ignorance of Americans when it comes yeah. to their knowledge of other countries. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's pretty appropriate. <laughs> yeah. That's like shooting fish in a barrel. Kind of unfair, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And like, like Arturo said, he's an expat. So he, he knows of what he's speaking from. Uh, uh, yeah. It's some, there, I do have days for what it's worth, especially in the last two years where I'm like, Hey, you know, maybe he had a right idea 15 years ago. You know? but, <laughs> and I haven't regretted it since when I left in January 05. All right. Today's topic. Now, like I said earlier, we're doing 20, our 20, our picks for the 20 best modern rock bands slash artists. Now, let's describe the parameters. In our Parallel Universe segment that we do every episode, we choose new albums by contemporary artists and bands that, in a Parallel Universe version of Earth where rock music is still huge in a mainstream way and people have good taste, would be on regular (laughs) rock radio rotation. Well, for this episode, we're expanding that concept to an entire episode. We will count down not 10, but 20 bands slash artists in contemporary or modern rock who, in this parallel universe Earth, would be all over rock radio, would get all kinds of mainstream media and exposure, and would be playing larger venues to larger amounts of people than they do in our much inferior universe's version of Earth. (laughs) There are, however, (laughs) a few asterisks to be given. A few of these bands really are not that contemporary in the sense that they've been around for a really long time, as many as 20 years in some cases. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess it's just just us really wanting to give shine to these bands that we really love. Right. But uh, the key is, is that even though some of these bands have been around a long time, they're still relevant. They're so relevant, right. And also, a few of these bands slash artists already are quite popular in the music media world. And really, what? Uh, it, yeah, and in the music media world, they're really big. And they already, they already played a decent theater ballroom capacity-sized uh, venues. All, oh, we're yeah. saying, all we're saying is that these bands slash artists should be even bigger than they already are. Oh, yeah. I mean, a couple of these bands should be filling stadiums, I think. Yeah. Could be and, filling, you know, if we were like 40 years ago, they could be filling stadiums. Yeah. Right. And finally, this episode is also the curmudgeon's opportunity to stress that rock music is very much alive and well and in the good hands of bands slash artists, keeping the flame lit for authentic, honest, and inventive music in the genre. True enough. Uh, so a few comments that I have uh, about yeah. uh, this list and, you know, some of this is just commentary, but also some of this is sort of uh, trivia and odds and sods about the list. So I, I think this episode really kind of perfectly illustrates uh, one of our six main tenets of yeah. our curmudgeonly worldview, which yeah. you know, we talked about in uh, episode one, go check it out that, uh, you know, while there's plenty of great music still out there, you have to work really hard uh, to find it. Uh, you know, this really is where Arturo has me beat, um, where, I mean, I learned of 12 of these 20 entries from Mr. Arturo Andrade himself. Uh, eight of them, you know, I came to on my own uh, and in a couple of instances got to new stuff uh, before him because I was so enthusiastic. Um, and so, look, the fact that, that I'm, I'm the laggard proves that, yes, I am a married white guy in his 40s in America. Uh, but... Uh, because of not just this podcast, but COVID and 
in large part because of some of these bands, I find myself working harder than I have in years. Uh, and it's a much more satisfying route to discovery than being spoon fed like I was and like we were back in the mid nineties Yeah, uh, or during my music journalism career, which was, you know, another lifetime ago. Right. Uh, so a few things to mention. Uh, one of the things that I learned from when we were divvying out the assignments, uh, I got assigned several women uh, who are just extraordinary uh, or at least two uh, that and two and a half, I suppose, not, not a half woman, but the band. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, there's just a lot of really talented female singer songwriters. Um, and uh, just a lot of just a like wholly original uh, female artists now. And so that's exciting and uh, something to, to note there. A couple other things. Uh, one thing you'll notice, and if you've been listening to us, you probably already know this. Australia and Philadelphia will have prominent uh, places yeah. on, uh, you know, or at the epicenter of, of these lists. Uh, yeah. And so uh, there, I don't know if there's scenes represented, but there's something definitely percolating in the water supply there. And then uh, one other thing to illustrate a, a point that Arturo made, it's not necessarily that these artists aren't well, you know, they're not, some of them are celebrated. Uh, they're not obscure. They're not, you know, living next to uh, a rock critic in Brooklyn, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just to point out two, we've got two Grammy winners uh, on the list. Right. Uh, so, uh, so again, so it's, so the whole point is it's not, we want people to listen to these. We just think that these, um, they, they, these should be in uh, heavy radio rotation and just really uh, icons instead of just uh, uh, folks. That, yeah. Basically folks that make Arturo and I and you out there in the curmudgeonly universe uh, excited. The 1990s were the fourth golden age of rock. I'm stealing that term from Arturo because I wholeheartedly agree. It's a perfect way to describe the era. Why do we make that argument? Find out soon. The Curmudgeon Rock Report will be basing an entire series of episodes on the topic, from Lollapalooza, the good kind of shoegazing, and grunge, all the way through to EDM, Mook Rock, and Napster, we'll cover the spectrum of a beautiful, incredible span of time where everything changed at first for the better, and ultimately perhaps for the much worse. What defined the 1990s for you? Let us know at curmudgeonrock at gmail.com. All right, so now now we're going to get into the coveted, privileged top 20 curmudgeonly list of the best modern rock bands. We're going to start briefly, number 20, Chris, one of my favorite singer-songwriter guitarists right now. Yeah, we're talking about Steve Gunn, uh, and so a little bit about uh, about Mr. Gunn. So uh, right up front, we're going to kick off this list with what I'm calling our Philadelphia Trio, or excuse me, Philadelphia Trilogy. Yep, the Philadelphia Trilogy. Uh, Steve Gunn may live in Brooklyn now, but if you were in a band with the masterful Kurt Vile, you're a Philly guy, man. <laughs> and uh, like a lot of his peers from there and from this era, uh, Gunn has a knack for tunes and melody. Uh, unlike a lot of his peers, though, uh, he takes the whole throwback idea a lot further, as in a lot further back than Tom Betty, Petty, uh, Big Star, and Lou, uh, Lou Reed. Yeah. Uh, the, now, Gunn, you see, is a good old-fashioned folk songster. Uh, you know, he's marvelous at the acoustic touch and uh, weaponizing this lilting, this lilting singing high-register voice. 
uh, while mixing in some ethereal touches. Uh, I'd say uh, see especially 2019's The Unseen in Between, which does a pretty good job of uh, answering a question that nobody thought to ask before, uh, which is uh, what if Gordon Lightfoot was actually good and had some backbone? <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, really, I mean, like I said, uh, you know, Mr. Gunn does not do Americana per se, uh, but he's certainly steeped in the American vernacular, uh, which explains why putting his, these, uh, this clever Philly college boy, uh, with, uh, West Virginia's, uh, kaleidoscopic bluegrass band, uh, the black twig pickers on 2015 seasonal hire, uh, actually works. I don't know if you've heard that record, but uh, no, it's uh, wild, it's woolly, and ultimately wondrous, and uh, highly recommended. Essentially, uh, the the Black Twig Pickers are essentially a like kind of a a jam out bluegrass uh, band from West Virginia. And so, what this is is it's five songs with Steve Gunn and these guys kind of doing these uh, these kind of weird uh, slithering bluegrassy uh, folk Appalachia uh, songs. You know, so strong songs, but a lot of like cool. weird Appalachia stuff going on. Right. So, Got to check it well, out. That's a big thing on Steve Gunn. Um, his, in, in my opinion, his master, not, well, yeah, yeah, kind of his masterpiece. His best record is uh, 2014's Way Out Weather. Yeah. That's, good. Uh, that, that's a phenomenal record. Uh, and the follow up to 2016, Eyes on the Lines, is more electric guitar heavy. Yes, um, but really, really good. I, I, I've always heard of uh, a very distinct Grateful Dead influence in this guy. Uh, a lot of what he does, very Garcia esque. Yeah, no, I, no, I agree with that. Yeah, it, it, you know, in terms of well, there's the two sides of uh, not early, uh, not early Dead, but I would say that sort of uh, American Beauty uh, through the rest of the '70s kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. I would say that you know they definitely have uh, that going on. Yeah, yeah. So, gun yet another reason people should go to Philadelphia and check out the live music scene there. <laughs> no, I, yeah, absolutely. So, right. okay, so that is Miss. That is number twenty, number nineteen, sir. Number nineteen. Yes. Now we're we're leaving the United States and we're going to Sweden. <laughs> uh, hailing from Sweden, I think it's from Stockholm. Uh, this band is called Goat, and. They're really more of a performance art collective than they are <laughs> yeah. a band in the conventional sense. On stage and every time there's any kind of publicity photo or a publicity photo shoot, they dress in exotic masks and costumes straight out of tribal African and Native American cultures. And the music matches their look perfectly. They essentially take like deliriously funky 1970s Afrobeat music and merge it with whacked out, fuzzed out psychedelic rock. You know, think Fela Kuti and Jimi Hendrix somehow have seven or eight weird ass white Scandinavian children who get in touch <laughs> with their African roots, yeah. like Akeem in the WWF via yeah. their intoxicating and high energy live shows. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's and there's some like some late 60s early 70s kind of basement psychedelic soup stuff going on there too yeah yeah, yeah but they're, but they're live performing that's what they're known for they're known as this, this thrilling live band and that's what yeah it's really what they're known for they've released two live albums so far and their most recent album is a soundtrack for this obscure movie called double date which i never saw or heard but if you really want to get a taste for this band's magic uh in the studio Look no further than their debut album from 2012, World Music, 
which is hands down one of the best albums of the decade. Uh, their album from 2016, Requiem, is also a must-listen with more acoustic textures and ventures into indigenous South American folk music. Yes, I, I, I swear this is great stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't read well on paper now, does it? No. no, it doesn't. But yeah, check out GOAT. Highly recommended. Yeah, they're... Um... Uh, yes, they're, they're what you can call weird shit in one of the best possible, uh, ways. It's, uh, it's really like, you know, uh, take a, take a nap on the bed, listening to it on the headphones and you're just going to be floating. Uh, it's, yeah, great, it's exactly. a great, it's a great soundtrack, uh, for that. It's kind of like the, uh, the half conscious, uh, half dream world, um, kind of, uh, kind of thing. And yeah, like you said, uh, it's, it's ultimately it's cool stuff, but they're, like you said, the performance stuff is pretty wild. Uh, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're Swedish guys that really wish they were from Nairobi, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, or, uh, Mali or one of those places. So yeah, exactly. All right. So the next band number 18 is a band that I, and I think Chris does too. You do as well, Chris, we think these, this, these ladies should be much 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 bigger than they yeah are. they really are uh they're they're <laughs> they're like uh, they, they should be stars yeah they're a ba- they're called bleached from the la los angeles area and they are fronted by two singer songwriter sisters jennifer and jessica clavin and they have three they've put out so far three albums of blissed out perfectly melodic bubblegum pop rock but in the best possible sense. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's like, I mean, Chris and I, we, you know, you and I were talking about this. They, they, they got a little bit of Liz fair meets the go-go's meets who else did you mention? Well, no, I, I, I hear a lot of Courtney love. Um, yeah. They have a bit of hole in what they do. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And like I said, it's, it's basically think of uh, they're, they're an interesting band. It's like, take like 30 plus years of Los Angeles female led, rock and pop and they're kind of a celebration and a roll up of all of that it's it's pretty cool yeah they're 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 fantastic songwriters and yeah like like if this if this band came out and it would have come out in the 90s they would be on the cover of rolling stone i mean they 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 they, they would they would have been stars and they're uh probably their greatest song from their 2016 album welcome the worms uh it's called sour candy like in our in our parallel universe, that's like one of the biggest hit songs. Oh, that that <laughs> that's number one for ten weeks. Yeah, no, that yeah. love yeah. that song. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's funny as hell, but it rocks too. It, it's it's yeah. the most it's the the most sweetly catchy, beautiful pop song ever written about taking LSD. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it, it 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 is an ode to drugs to the nth degree, and yeah. it's it's lovely. It's it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, Ride Your Heart from 2013. That's the first album to get. Then get Welcome the Worms from 2016. And their last album from two years ago was really good too. Don't you think you've had enough? But Ride Your Heart and Welcome the Worms. Those are the two you need to get. Fantastic band. Fan- great albums, really. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, I really don't understand how they're not stars now, given some of the stuff that's been pushed out there. You know, two good-looking bonds from L.A., that are doing this throwback to the early eighties. Um, and you know, it's, it's stunning to me how much better they are than Haim and yet Haim oh, yeah. gets all the publicity. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, the thing is, Haim, I, all 
right. So number number seventeen on the list. And before we get to it, Chris, you're gonna tell us who this person is. Before anything, um, this person uh, is now a transgender person. Yes. So we cannot refer to this person as a he anymore. Yes, I know. This is this is yeah. the first instance of a they in the <laughs> uh, in the history of the curmudgeon rock report. And, yeah. Uh, so uh, we're talking about Ezra Furman. Uh, behold the wonder of gender dysphoria here and to a transgender woman named Ezra. Uh, it has not changed uh, their name. Uh, and so really, I mean, androgynous electro fuzz rock is alive and well here in 2021, thanks to Furman's confessional musings and their oscillations between trad new wave and uh, more orthodox early 90s British pop. Uh, thinks, think of bands like James. Uh, you know, I hear, I hear some James in there. Uh, and, you know, I especially... Do you, do you know what I hear? Do you know what I that? hear with Ezra Furman? To me, a lot of his catch, that, that insanely catchy rock and roll that he does, oh, yeah. it, it owes a lot to Lou Reed, The Kinks, Blondie, Doo-Wop, and yeah. a little bit of Green Day, believe it or not. Yeah. I, I, his, his last album, 12 Nudes from 2019, With very... Great very punk pop, you know? Yeah. Pop. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's very sort of, yeah, it's like that sort of pop punk, the sort of the, uh, the anthemic, you know, sort of, uh, you know, break free from the oppressor or the, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, battle the man kind of stuff. Yeah. Or yeah. I don't know, is it battle the they, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and I was going to say, so with Furman, I especially enjoy, uh, their song evening prayer, AKA justice. Yeah. Uh, from 2019's cheekily titled album 12 Newts. Yeah. Uh, it's a song that has male swagger on the one hand and female lib on the other. Uh, it's yeah. a truly universal freedom anthem. Now, to crib a lyric from that song, uh, quote, if you've got the taste for transcendence that translates your love into action, unquote, uh, then you'll probably like Ezra Furman's stuff as much as we do. Uh, Arturo, yeah, uh, yeah he, his master, oh, sorry, their masterpiece is uh, 2015's Perpetual Motion People. That's one of the best albums of the decade. Um, the, the influences that I mentioned, throw in a little bit of Bruce Springsteen in there because he, he does have that, he does have that, that Springsteen uh, uh, tendency for these, you know, these like really highly emotional, epic storytelling songs. Yeah, he really uh, does. He, he does that a lot. Or they no, do just, that a lot. Yeah, they do that a lot. Yeah, we we, we no, got to get used to this pronoun world, folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just it's just catchy, no bullshit. Especially the last album, Twelve Nudes, catchy, no bullshit, emotionally raw and rocking with epic widescreen evoking lyrics. Yeah, and it's, kinda, it's like it's like the LGBT community finally has its own answer to Bruce Springsteen, and it's yeah. as reformed. Well, yeah, go figure. I mean, the guy, the 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 they the person. Yeah. Uh, yeah writes really strong anthemic stuff it's it's uh it's fun but profound lyrics uh, absolutely from, yeah yeah, yeah. So, ezra I'm big i've been a big ezra fan for uh for a while now so i'm i'm glad that uh, uh their curmudgeons are giving them some shine now we yeah. move on to number 16 and now yes. we can safely call this person a she yes Chris, she, take it away she's very she uh <laughs> we are talking about waxahachie Right. Uh, oh, what a songstress. Uh, yes. Waxahachie is the nom de plume of Katie Crutchfield, uh, a gifted singer-songwriter from Alabama. Uh, Waxahachie Creek, Alabama, to be exact. 
Uh, now, uh, faithful Curmudgeon Rock Report listeners will remember that Arturo talked up Ms. Crutchfield in a Parallel Universe segment a few weeks back. Uh, now, since then, I have become similarly familiar with the 2020 Waxahachie record, St. Cloud. Uh, it is a gorgeous collection of love songs and laments that I think springs from a recipe that includes uh, one part Lucinda, uh, one part R.E.M., uh, mm. one, one part Jayhawks, and yeah. I even found one part Dolly Parton. Uh, <laughs> lovely, lovely, and then even more lovely. Uh, it's an accomplishment and in retrospect is probably the 2020, uh, the best uh, rock pop album I've heard from 2020, or yeah. at least the best one I've heard so far. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Maybe I missed a spot or two. So there you go. Uh, go fall in love with Grady Cutchfield uh, too. Yeah. Um, she's, yeah, she's a under fucking rated uh, songwriter. Way underrated. Yeah. She's yeah. A, I mean, oh, she's beautiful voice. Um, she really just really a, a, a master of that. I don't know what you would call it, but that sort of uh, definitely Southern informed uh, sound. Yeah. It's not, it's not really country rock. Uh, you know, she rocks the mandolin sometimes and it's, it's uh, I, it doesn't rock and, but it's not sappy either. You know, it's yeah. just, it's, it's uh, genuine. Right. It's a good word for her. Yes. Yeah, St. Cloud actually is a change in direction for her. Uh, that, that's yeah. where she got in touch with her, with her inner Lucinda Williams in that record. Yeah. Her earlier stuff is more like nineties influenced indie, indie rock. Yeah. Um, I agree. Her, her best album I think is from 2013 Cerulean salt, a uh, very strong Liz fair. influence. Yes. Yeah. Uh, on that yeah. Album. Like you said, that's, that, that's more uh, in your face. Whereas yeah. this, this is, this is lovely. Uh, yeah. That's more in your face. Yeah, yeah for so sure. Definitely. And, and the 2015 album, Ivy Trip, really, really good too. So yeah, mm-hmm. Waxahachie is awesome. Yes. Okay, number 15. Here we go. Another awesome band. And this is a more of a band band. It's not one person. Yeah, there you <laughs> uh, go. This is, if there ever was a curmudgeonly parallel universe band, Parquet Courts are that band. Yes. Seriously, put these guys in a time machine take them back to the 1990s and they would be all over alternative rock radio alongside Weezer and Beck. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. They're, they're, they're right there in that sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. As it is, I'll just describe their sound as this basically pavement gets into a time machine and travels back to the 1970s, hangs out with the CBGB's punk scene, particularly the television, Richard Hell talking head strand of that scene and have some bastard offspring that offspring would sound like parquet courts yep now they originally hail from i believe austin texas but i'm not 100 percent no, sure they uh they're more dallas area they uh university they of dallas north, okay yeah university of north texas which is yeah, uh, denton yeah okay yeah yeah right. with the home yeah. of the von erics yep they now reside in New York City and have for a yes. while, mm-hmm. and since the beginning of the, of the teens, and they've released a string of terrific, quirky, weird-ass, smart-ass, eclectic, highly literate indie rock. Yeah. Uh, the best of the bunch, in my opinion, is Human Performance from 2016. Their most recent album, 2018's Wide Awake, has the closest thing they've had to a hit with the title track. They, act, they even performed that song 
uh, when they appeared on Ellen DeGeneres' daytime talk show as a mm. musical guest. Oh, I didn't know that. You look, it up on, you look it up on YouTube. And uh, the curmudgeons cannot wait until their new album, A Sympathy for Life, comes out in later in October. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I actually was a big fan of uh, a couple of their earlier records, like Light Up Gold and Someday yeah. Animal. And those are really good like records, that. too. Yeah, yeah. Really no, they're, no, you're right. They are kind of like, uh, to me, uh, it, to kind of riff on an, an earlier uh, joke, you know, what if uh, Stephen Malcolmus was tolerable? Uh, that that that's the parquet courts they're they're a great uh band and like arturo said that steven if you're listening i'm a huge pavement fan i'm a huge fan of you so yeah i yeah i know he 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 wishes he was female uh so that he can fuck you um but anyway uh yeah parquet courts yeah they they fit that uh gen x aesthetic to a t um which is interesting because as far as i know they're a little bit younger than that but they uh, they, def- they, they definitely studied the canon, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, for, uh, you know, for sure. And so, yeah, they've been a uh, uh, pretty celebrated uh, band uh, for a while. And I know they've gotten some love, uh, you know, not even the underground, you know, not even just the uncuts and the stereo gums and all that, but the, uh, the, uh, a little bit more upstream, like, you know, the Mojos and the Rolling Stones have given them. But you'll never hear them on the radio. You'll never <laughs> hear them on the radio, which is... Too bad because almost everything they do is ready-made for the radio. So yeah, yeah, yeah uh, great band, uh, uh, very good band. So uh, yeah, go uh, go check them out. They're probably, to be honest with you, of all the bands on this list, they probably are the most well-known. Um, if there was, well, them and there's another uh, female artist down list uh, that are probably the two most pro- them the two most prominent to yeah. the, to the would-be hipster. Uh, out there right yeah okay, okay. Gotcha. now the next the next band chris band i like quite a bit you take yeah it. yeah me too uh uh the uh we're, we're talking about the war on drugs and uh this philadelphia is, chapter two yes this is the second entry to the uh <laughs> philadelphia songcraft trilogy uh and, you know uh, following steve gunn so now uh, I'm not sure if the War on Drugs is the best band on this list, uh, but I do think that the War on Drugs, beside you know, despite their jokey in-your-face name, is the gentlest band that we're talking yeah. about on this episode. Yeah. Now, by gentlest, I don't mean lightest or wussiest, uh, but I'm talking about gentlest in the best sense of the term, as in gentle strength, uh, gentle confidence, gentle, gentle uh, pointful, uh, pointiveness and assertiveness. Uh, so we're talking about thoughtful, emotive, contemplative, and intense uh, stuff, and driven by impressive touches like echoing pianos and skittering electronic drum uh, touches. And uh, Adam, the band leader Adam uh, Grandusiel's d- depressive but often pretty vocals. Uh, I'm also pretty sure that Grandusiel is the best lyricist on our list of contemporary rock titans, or at least would be my pick. Uh, I, I, I think Kurt Vile is still a better lyricist, though. I think he's clever. He's a little yeah, more clever. Yeah, well, he's more clever. And so, yeah, he's a better word guy. But yeah. in terms of what he accomplishes and sort of the the writing, you know, how to write a song, uh, I will say this. Um, I think it's a, it's a near dead heat between uh, him and a female artist later down uh, on our list, I think. But I think he wins it by a nose. Uh, for me. And so, yeah. you know, for instance, there's the uh, the lead track off of uh, 2017's A Deeper Understanding, Up All mm. Night. Yeah. Uh, great song. 
which, you know, believe it or not, by the way, a deeper understanding won the Grammy for best rock album in 2017. Mm, uh, yeah. So, won a yeah. Grammy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. Uh, but you'll so, never hear the war on drugs on the radio. No, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. This, this, this is your band on drugs. Uh, you know, but anyway, uh, so, you know, that, that song up all night, it really magically captures the experience of, uh, yes, being up all night, uh, mm-hmm. which I was actually three days ago, uh, <laughs> when, you know, in that sense where your emotions swirl from uh, one drama to another, often in leaps and fits that don't make uh, much logical sense. Uh, he's been up all night. And as his lyric explains, spinning around the floor, uh, it's not some feeling I can break. Sound familiar? <laughs> uh, really? So the Warren Drugs uh, was founded by uh, Grandusio. And uh, hey, here's Kurt Vile again, uh, back in 2008. Uh, Vile hung around long enough for the band's 2008 debut, Wagon Wheel Blues, uh, before departing. That's I still probably think that's their best record. Really? Wow. Yeah, I I would say it's between that and a deeper understanding. I think that uh, um, 2014 record's pretty strong, too. That's the breakthrough. That's the one. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the lead track on that album, even though the the lead bit, the uh, the weird skittering thing doesn't make the radio. That was that was their big radio thing. Or at least my my station in uh, upstate or just north of New York uh, used to play that song a lot, but uh, is it under the pressure? Is that the yes, song? Under yeah. the pressure. Yeah. yeah. That, that's kind of what got them uh, their, uh, their 15 minutes there back in 2014. But anyway, Wagon Wheel Blues, uh, you know, it's, it's weird because yeah, it is Kurt Bile and Grandusio, uh, which who are a couple of, of uh, songwriting Titans. But I think in, it's fair to say that in spirit and personality, I think that band was still Grandusio's baby. Uh, even yeah. then. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, sure, Vile and Grandusio come from that same Tom Petty informed school of pop songcraft. But while Vile is the too cool stoner, uh, Grandusio is the what you see is what you get quiet guy lost in space as he plays on his piano or sings. Uh, Vile ain't gentle, uh, but for the most part, Wagon Wheel Blues is. And uh, that's really a consistent strand through the War on Drugs' catalog. Hence ends part two of the Philadelphia trilogy. <laughs> Yeah, I like to say that uh, um, "Lost in the Dream" of 2014, I think, is is their best album. And the other one that's really uh, people that the one that kind of got them noticed in the underground music press was "Slave Ambient" from 2011. Yeah, yeah. that's a fantastic record as well. Uh, I would describe the War on Drugs if, if I had to like put it in simple terms. It's basically Heartland Americana rock, like Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty put through like a, a slightly psychedelic indie rock filter. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. He definitely, yeah. There's, there's just like this sort of, again, kind of uh lonesome echo kind of thing that they're in, but they're, uh, it's more sort of an indie rock aesthetic, but yeah, like you said, there's an earnestness and a, a longing in the lyrics. And again, you know, Grand Ducial is one of these guys that like, uh, in 2014, 2017, a lot of uh, the stuff comes from his experiences with depression and relationship up and ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 definitely a, a, a born introvert, or at least yeah. his lyrics would tell you that he's a born introvert. So, uh, and, good, and, good, and, good and, and and one last thing about Lost in the Dream, which mm-hmm. now is kind of a modern classic. Yeah, passes the green test with flying colors. I can imagine. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I can imagine all that, you know, like the echoey stuff, like the piano yeah. stuff and all that. Not only that, but the, yeah, the tempo, it's kind of, it is like an oddly woozy tempo, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I can, I can specialize I can in that. that. Yeah, no. So, uh, so yeah, it definitely uh, the Warren Drugs, again, I, 
uh, Grandusio gets my vote by a nose for best lyricist on this list. So cool. There you go. All right, now a band that I think lyrically is up there as well. The number thirteen band on this list, one of my favorite bands of the past decade, and I think uh, they're called The Men. <laughs> and uh, simple name, kind of a dumb name, but they are one of the most consistently brilliant and unpredictably versatile and eclectic bands of the last decade. Uh, and they're from Brooklyn. They're from Brooklyn, New York, you know, that, that the hipster enclave of Brooklyn. But they themselves are not really hipsters, especially if you listen to their music. Yeah. Uh, they kind of blasted their way to underground indie rock notoriety with back-to-back punches of 2011's Leave Home and 2012's Open Your Heart. Basically, it's just gut-punchingly heavy and rocking post-punk post-hardcore noise rock and they all merge into a concoction that if you had to play a game of spot the influence kind of resembles at the drive-in meets husker do yeah like with lightning bolt as producers yeah yeah there, there, there's definitely a little bit of lightning bolt touch in there uh, yeah, with these guys. And, but definitely husker do a lot uh and at the drive-in if, if you're into that yeah. you know that uh, that uh, that emo the harder edge of emo Yes. Their their greatest moment on record, however, is the startlingly awesome and awe-inspiring New Moon from 2013. Mm-hmm. Now, some critics and fans were disappointed by how the band went away from that, you know, super abrasive, razor shredding sound of before. But this particular curmudgeon thinks they improved on their formula by introducing mature and much improved songwriting to the mix. Uh, one writer, uh, one music journalist, referred to the album as Dinosaur Jr. on a serious Tom Petty kick. <laughs> I, yeah. I, li- I like to refer uh, uh, to New Moon, their album from 2013, as the replacements come to terms with Husker Du, sprinkled with a little REM sweet dust on top. Yeah. Uh, New Moon, to me, is one of the 10 greatest rock albums of the 2010s, if not one of the greatest albums of the decade, period. Uh, greatest, greatest albums of any genre. Uh, in the middle of the decade, the men changed their sound further. They started to embrace Americana sounds, such as blues, country, and folk. And they produced something akin to, like, down-home bar band music, you know? Yeah. Um, mixed results were evident with 2014's Tomorrow's Hits, but the experiment came to fruition with the beautiful pastoral sounds of 2018's Drift and last year's album, Mercy. Um, they haven't fully abandoned the punked-out aggro rock of their early years. Yeah. Uh, songs of that ilk are sprinkled throughout their, la- their latter albums, but their brave embracing of roots music and continued focus on songcraft have resulted, I think, in one of the richest, most fulfilling discographies of any contemporary rock band. So check out the men. Yeah, all no, of their that, albums. No, that's fair. They've kind of uh, gotten closer to kind of some Grateful Dead uh, kind of vibe, and like you yeah. said, sort of Americana, down home kind of stuff. But uh, my uh, my favorite thing with the men still is I love their song "Animal." Uh, which uh, has, uh, let's just put it this way, like well, look, nothing will ever touch Alex Van Halen's uh, intro to Hot for Teacher as far as drum majesty. 
uh, but animal comes pretty close. <laughs> That's, it, it's, it's, I, it's, I, I, it's their most fun song. It's just like, okay, yeah, these guys, uh, yeah, they might not have been like the Brooklyn scenester type of things, but you could tell that, you know, they had that sort of Brooklyn smart boy, wink, wink, uh, yeah. fun, you know, that obviously they, you know, they were probably drinking a little bit when they uh, recorded this record and, and, and all of that. So, but uh, yeah, but like you, like you've said that there's a maturity and an eclectic that has grown with them yeah. since then. So. Speaking of maturity, the next band, number 12 on the list, deserves an asterisk because they've been around for a really long time. <laughs> yes, which which I which I will discuss. Uh, yes. So uh, we're talking about Lightning Bolt. Uh, and, I, you know, Lightning Bolt, I, so here's, here's my thing on them. So my first interaction with Lightning Bolt, as well as a lot of people's first interaction with Lightning Bolt goes back to 2003 with the album Wonderful Rainbow. Yeah. And my first thought back then was, what a wacky-ass band. Now, <laughs> they fell off my radar for a while as I, you know, grew up and, you know, went to law school and got, went in my 30s and 40s and wasn't quite as cool. Uh, but I came back around to them in 2019 with the album Sonic Citadel. And my first thought then, what a wacky-ass band. Uh, but wait... <laughs> That's not quite the same wacky ass band, is it? Uh, actually, yes, it is. Uh, Lightning Bolt has uh, arguably been uh, the best wacky ass band in the world for a long, 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 long time. And uh, Wonderful Rainbow has deservedly become a cult classic. Uh, all, Allmusic.com, uh, which is not normally the source for good, sharp, uh, funny writing, uh, has a great line about Wonderful Rainbow. Uh, imagine all of the best aspects of Fred Frith, Derek Bailey, The Ruins, Slayer, and Ornette Col Coleman all thrown into a blender together. <laughs> then imagine them on speed. Uh, this, one, this, this one's a keeper. Uh, now, all music points out the oddest thing about Sonic Citadel, too. Uh, it contains, quote unquote, an extremely uncharacteristic melody or two rising yep. above the clamor. Yeah, uh, which is true. Now, USA is Psycho does sound like it could have been scooped off the cutting room floor from Black Sabbath's self-titled debut. Uh, but hey, who really needs melody when you can make wild ass art rock workouts like these? Uh, yeah. Now, here's the main thing I think about Lightning Bolt. Uh, if you don't actually listen to their music and are a lazy thinker in general, uh, you'll immediately think that this band sucks. Uh, but if you have any level of curiosity of the, or the natural ability to be puzzled, uh, you will probably want to start listening, listening, like really listening to these guys on second play and then listen again and again and again and again. And remarkably, and it, it still blows me away, this is only two guys doing yeah. all this. Yeah. And it's a continuation in a long line of illustrious uh, Rhode Island School of Design minted oddballs. Yeah. Uh, it's brilliantly crafted fuzz and drum that relentlessly goes all over the place. And just, uh, it's like a, a drill bit in your brain. Uh, but one that is got a soothing effect as opposed to an ouch. And so, right. uh, how the hell are they doing all that really? Uh, but you know, who cares again, just shut up and listen and never stop appreciating lightning bolt. Yeah. I, I refer to them as thrash metal jazz. Pretty it's much what they are because yeah. there's, there's a heavy jazz element in what they do, but it's just rocked the fuck 
out. Yeah, and I, I would venture to say that uh, if you were to make a, a, a list of all-time greatest headphone records, yeah, uh, Wonderful Rainbow is probably top 50, maybe top 25. The thing is, they have better albums than that. I know, but it's my favorite. I mean, I like Sonic Citadel is up there too, but Wonderful Rainbow is just like, uh, it's, uh, it's intense and it's just, it, but it's clever and it's subtle. You know, you really, you really need to listen to fantasy empire from 2015. Mm-hmm. That in my opinion is their masterpiece. Mm-hmm. That's their greatest work. One of the best albums of the decade. And what separates that album from other lightning bolt albums is that this one has more conventional metal riffage yeah. uh, into it more than any of their other records. There are hints of melody, but it's it's got the their most conventional heavy metal riffs mixed in with that you know cacophonous noise that they do. Yeah, and it's got and it's got some of the funnier you know song titles: "The Metal East," <laughs> "Snow White," and the Seven Dwarves fans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, okay, that's funny. Uh, but, but like I said, the thing about Wonderful Rainbow, and again, I haven't spent as much time with Sonic Citadel. Wonderful Rainbow is one of those things, like you said, it has the cacophony and the inertia and the sort of the, the, the mess. But if you listen to it on the headphones and you grab onto the riff yeah. and then you, you not only the riff, but when you catch on to the groove and you kind of get yourself mentally in that center. Oh yeah. boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I'm just, those guys are brilliant. Uh, you know, Earthly Delights from 2009 has a song on it called The Sublime Freak. It, it may be their greatest moment on record, their, their mm-hmm. greatest song. Um, so it's just that one song from 2009, you should check that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. L- Lightning Bolt have been one of the, have, they've been one of the world's best bands for like 15 years now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mo- longer than that, really almost 20. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. Uh, I know that uh, Arturo's uh, been a more enthusiastic flower of, of theirs over the years, but again, uh, one of the joys of this podcast is being able to loop back around to some of the stuff that goes back to, really the sweet spot of an old career of mine when I was in Phoenix, Arizona and I was covering a lot right. of this stuff uh, and being able to, was, I was into the, that lightning bolt record for a while, but I never really uh, meditated with it on headphones back then. Cause you know, I was yeah. a dumbass 28 year old, but, right. uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're the, probably the oldest band on this, re- on this list, but they're still one of the best. Absolutely. And next number 11 Another American band, one of my favorite uh, bands of the moment right now, Flat Worms from the L.A. area. Now, I've already mentioned quite a bit about this band several episodes ago when I reviewed their excellent album from last year, Antarctica, in our Parallel Universe segment. I'll just add that as awesome as that album is, their self-titled debut from 2017 is even better. Uh, their Sebado meets the Wipers hybrid is produced here in a very raw, very lo-fi way with a sonic youthish wall of noisy guitar sound. Uh, these guys can also write insanely catchy songs with sharp, funny, detached observations ranging from mundane, everyday life occurrences to even insightful socio-political commentary. They're easily one of the best American bands on the planet and definitely worth following. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're uh yeah, they're a uh, they write really great songs, but they also can bash uh yeah. too. you know, they're uh 
Yeah, and yeah, they're definitely kind of uh, we're a young American band in uh, at the turn of uh, the tens and twenties. Uh, yeah. kind of uh, kind of group and yeah i'm i'm enthusiastic uh, about them but not quite as so this second half this this bottom half of this list is great but uh it's kind of like it it really accelerates uh in the uh in the first half sure. which we will get sure. to shortly on this episode the curmudgeons did a positively positive survey on all the great modern rock bands and artists who would be superstars in a better parallel universe version of Earth. For the next episode, join us as we venture back to our familiar universe and resume our ongoing series that analyzes the fascinatingly parallel careers of Prince and Michael Jackson. In this second chapter slash installment, Michael's fame blows up to supernova proportions with the album Thriller, and the aftermath will go on to define him and his career for the rest of his life, for better and unfortunately for much worse. Prince goes supernova himself with the blockbuster albums 1999 and Purple Rain, He becomes a Hollywood movie star with not one, but two major motion pictures, and he begins the nonstop recording output that would define him for the rest of his life. All right. Now, the number 10 band on our list of the best modern rock bands is the band that made death metal beautiful. (laughs) Chris? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, This is death heaven. Uh, (laughs) And I suspect that even if you're just a casual uh, uh, kind of rock fan of rock coming to our this this year rock nerd podcast, you've probably heard of Death Heaven because they had their moment in the sun in uh, 2013. Uh, so, uh, quote, it's 5 a.m. and my heart flourishes at each passing moment. Uh, as does that lyric, so does Death Heaven. Uh, Death Heaven's sunbather from 2013 is probably one of the 10 best rock records released since 2000. Uh, yeah. It's also the greatest trick that death metal or something disguised as death metal has ever pulled. Uh, these guys have mastered the art of shaping beauty under the pretense of ugly. Uh, even at full steam, the dense walls of guitar, the blasting drums and the blood, the uh, blood curdling screams uh, pummel their way into something that becomes solemn and gorgeous across uh, repeated listens. Now, that in turn makes this, the actual softer, quieter, more lush interludes truly astonishing when they arrive. Uh, the lead guitar work strikingly has some genuine Dwayne Allman style soul to it at times. And then when the rapid fire rebashing restarts, it all becomes even more astonishing, and so on. Uh, depending on the day and my mood, uh, I sometimes think Deaf Heaven does the My Bloody Valentine woozy thing better than My Bloody Valentine. Uh, you don't often hear uh, a death metal band get compared to My Bloody Valentine, but that's kind of how special Deaf Heaven uh, is. Uh, now, uh, Slayer may have effectively created death metal as we know it, uh, but no one has taken it as far into the visceral and the honest uh, quite as much as Deaf Heaven. Uh Sunbather got a lot of mainstream rock press attention when it was released. Uh, maybe you remember that. Uh, you know, even you know the even folks that weren't really programmed to gush in the in the rock press were gushing uh, yeah. over that record. Uh, and so, yeah, so you remember that. But you may not realize that the band is still going strong. 
Now in uh, 2020, uh, they released an album called 10 Years Gone. Now, uh, when the advent of COVID meant that they could not tour. It's uh, a quote unquote album, not it's not really part of their discography though. Yeah, it's, well, it isn't, it isn't. I mean, here it is. Here's the thing. So when the advent of COVID happened and they couldn't tour, so Def Heaven responded. Now that remember they're California band. So they responded by entering the studio and they were performing all of the songs that they planned on either debuting or reintroducing on tour. And they did so from what I understand in one sitting. And so what you're getting is a live record uh, recorded and then just cleaned up. And again, it's, uh, they're sitting in a studio and they're just, it's basically not a jam. It's like them playing like they had been rehearsing it for weeks. Uh, so in case you were wondering whether Sunbather was a result of pure studio magic, it was not. Uh, these yeah. guys really are that good and really in touch with all those mixed darker side emotions. I'd say, uh, check that out. But especially if you haven't heard it in a long time, uh, go back and, and listen to Sunbather. Uh, that's a special record. Yeah, Sunba- Sunbather from 2013, that, that is the first, you could argue, argue that's the first unique thing that's come out in rock music or the most unique thing to come out since Radiohead. Um, it, it, it's, it's when Radiohead put out uh, OK Computer, that was an event. Yeah. You know, Sunbather was kind of like that for heavy metal. Yeah, uh, there's never sure. there's never been metal that sounded like this before. Uh, yeah. New Bermuda from 2015 is really really good too. That's a great yes. record as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, um, no, they're 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 a great band. But like I said, Death Heaven is just this shining monument to the possibilities of rock and roll. And yeah. it's like it's like one of those uh, what would you call it? Like a, a monolith moment. You know, the, yeah. the monkeys touch the monolith and everything's different. Uh, that's, yeah. uh, that's, uh, uh, yeah. uh, someday there's one of those records. So. Absolutely. All right. Now we move on to number nine, the number nine best modern rock band slash artist. They're called, and many of you know, because they're kind of big in the underground now, the OCs, they go by just OCs now, O-S-E-E-S. Now, I put an asterisk next to this band's inclusion because John Dwyer, the lead singer, guitarist, songwriter, and overall band linchpin, is actually two years older than both of us curmudgeons. (laughs) 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 Calling calling them modern or contemporary is a bit inaccurate. Yes. As Dwyer has been around for a long time. Yeah, the OCs and, are, yeah, they're kind of like a lightning bolt, but they might even go back longer than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, calling them modern or contemporary would be like calling Queens of the Stone Age modern or contemporary, you know. However, yeah. since 2013, uh Dwyer and OCs have been on a super hot streak of great albums. Honestly, the best music Dwyer has done since he started out in the early noughties. And that I'll include them on this list of great modern bands who should be on rock radio. Hell, I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, they're, 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 the OC's recent music is, and that, that music being good is more than I can say for anything Josh Homme and Queens of the Stone Age have done recently. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The OC. Yeah. True statement. Yeah, yeah. Hami hasn't done anything good in a long time. Anyway, the OCs as a band have an insanely prolific output. I would argue too prolific. Hmm. Um, of about 30 albums they've released yeah. that Dwyer has overseen since 2006. 
risk. Yeah. Uh, what started out and continued for several years as a long run of charmingly lo-fi, quirky, rambling, ramshackle garage punk has mutated into this raging, snarling rock monster. Uh, starting with 2013's fantastic uh, Floating Coffin, still my favorite OCs album. Uh, OCs have been, for literally every year since, writing a string of ambitious maximum rock and roll albums that encapsulate garage rock, surf rock, psychedelic rock, punk rock, heavy metal, kraut rock, jazz, prog rock, and even electronic pop. Uh, unfortunately, it's hard to keep track with OC's flood of releases since, along with the studio albums, Dwyer has issued several live albums, covers albums, albums of covers, and outtakes, and experimental instrumental music, all under the OC's name. Fortunately, though, you have the Curmudgeon Rock Report to help you filter out <laughs> what proper OC studio albums you need. And we've whittled them down to eight. Are you ready to write these down? Chris, you ready to write these down? Yes, please. Okay, here we go. Floating Coffin from 2013. Good record. Drop from 2014. Mutilator Defeated at Last from 2015. Good record. A, a Weird Exits from 2016. Orc from 2017, the least good of these albums. Yeah, I was going to say that one. Say, I don't know. That one's not that great. But the next three are really good. Smote Reverser from 2018. The double album, Face Stabber. I love that album title. From 2019. And last year's Protein Threat from 2020. There. Sure. Aren't okay. you listeners out there glad you have the curmudgeons in your life? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it's funny because, you know, here in this top half of this list, there's probably three acts that are guilty of the uh, of the splatter approach to uh, yeah. discography and, and putting it out there. And uh, like I said, you know, uh, more does not always equal better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, the thing about some of these bands is that, um, you know, the, they'll kind of go up and down but the the best of the best of the best is really that good and yeah. so so we appreciate the prolificness but again it's kind of like uh you know cleaning out the uh, the monkey cage you know you have to get rid of the shit at the bottom to truly yeah. appreciate the animal yeah. and, and you have to do that with the ocs for sure absolutely as i was speaking of bands that aren't prolific yeah. And really have good quality control. Yes. Eight. Yeah. Th th this is one of those bands that has perhaps the best quality con among the best quality control on this list. We're talking about Mets. Uh, no, not the New York baseball team. Uh, M E T Z uh, <laughs> yeah. Mets. Uh, now this is another band that Arturo uh, uh, covered in a parallel universe segment uh, on an earlier episode of the curmudgeon rock report. Uh, so here's my best quick take on uh, Mets. Loud, louder, loudest, loudest. Okay. So uh, hopefully I just didn't wake up my wife. Uh, anyway, so uh, Mets is not the most chaotic band on our magic list. Uh, that honor probably goes to either Lightning Bolt or another of our entries closer to number one. Uh, but I'm pretty sure these Ontario natives comprise the loudest band. Uh, they're the hard rock equivalent of a demolition crew. Uh, when they tear down the buildings, you feel it in your soul and, of course, in your eardrums. Awesome power, awesome shouting, relentless guitar squawks, squeals, and screeches. 
uh, Arturo covered this year's Atlas Vending uh, in one of, in that parallel segment universe segment I mentioned. Uh, I commented at the time it reminded me of an old "And You Will Know Us" by the Trail of Dead uh, 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 thing, and, and kind of like what I said with Lightning Bolt. And then I listened to it more closely, <laughs> and there went that comparison. Uh, there's actually some pretty damn good songs underneath all of this noise. Um, yeah. Atlas Vending might be their best record. I mean, it's kind of on par with the um, with the debut, which just has a purity to it that you know, obviously that kind of indie spirit. And they're on sub pop, and so there there's a lineage there. Uh, and right. Arturo will tell a story here when he talks about this. But uh, my favorite Mets Valley is probably the 2012 B side, "Leave Me Out," which is this gnarly grinding blast off that honors the spirit of Bleach Era Nirvana. Like I said, they're in the sub-pop lineage, and it kind of shows. Uh, remember that this band is from Ottawa, Ontario, but they're you know they're a uh, uh, they carry the ball forward for the Seattle uh, uh, thing uh, very very well. So, yeah, Mets, um, man, you know they're currently based in Toronto. Yes, uh, they're originally from Ottawa, but they all, they all live in Toronto now. Uh, I, I would, if people were asking me and have never heard Mets, my very quick, simple description would be: Bleach era Nirvana meets the Jesus Lizard. <laughs> That's basically how I would describe it. That's them. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're balls to the wall. Their debut, self-titled debut album from 2012, is. Uh, one of the best rock albums of the decade. Their second album, Roman Numeral 2, which is called 2, from 2015, is fantastic as well. Um, yeah, the, the, the story, the, the funny story, I don't know if it's true or not, but I read about it, that Mojo, back in 2013, I think we're doing a, an, a story about Sub Pop, and for their free CD sampler, they include in every issue, they're doing like a, a sampler of like of Sub Pop bands and artists, right? 15 sub pop bands and artists for their CD that they give away for free with their magazine. And uh, when Jonathan Poneman, who still works at sub pop, by the yes, way, he he's, still the, he's still the main guy there. Uh, he found out that Mets, he's such a huge fan of Mets. He found out that Mets weren't on the sub pop sampler that Mojo devised. And he got really pissed off and threatened to not talk to Mojo ever again and to withdraw all the artists interviews with them if they don't put Mets in the sampler. <laughs> so Mojo had to relent and true to form Mojo has been covering Mets ever since. Yeah. And they should, they're one yeah. of the best bands in the world. I mean, they had to get punked into it, but yeah, they, yeah, they really are. I mean, they, among the, that kind of noise, that kind of loud rock. Uh, yeah. Again, they're, they're, they're just a pile driver. Uh, yeah, you know, they, they really, really are there, but they're very good at it. So. Can you imagine a tour with them and lightning bolt? <laughs> yeah. 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 I was going to say, I'd have to walk out halfway through just for my own health, uh, my own health and safety. Uh, you know, I think, I think you'd have to be about 16 to get through that whole show in one piece, you know? So there you go. And, and so now we go, uh, the, uh, exact, well, I would call it the exact opposite of Mets, but, uh, we go from one shtick extreme to another shtick. Extreme. Yes. Number seven, Slayford mods. While this is the lone British entry in our list, they are probably the most important and relevant band on this list from a socio-political perspective. Yeah. Now, I've spoken at length about these guys on a previous episode of this podcast when I reviewed their most recent album, came out this year, uh, the terrific uh, Spare Ribs. Now, 
I'll describe them briefly, though, to those who haven't and should listen to them. Who are Slayford Mods? Two dudes. One dude delivers funky, minimalist, bass-driven electro beats using only his laptop. Yep. Another, another dude delivers not quite sung, not quite rapped verbal assaults in his thick Cockney accent that targets racism, xenophobia, socioeconomic disparity, the shrinking working and middle classes, the rise of corporate fascism, society's obsession with social media, society's obsession with vapid celebrity culture, the phoniness of the music business, pretentious hipster culture, and everything else in between with a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and uh, you know, un- unlike uh, that chick from dry cleaning, uh, that dude has a, an intentional uh, poetry uh, that he builds yes. into his monologia uh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and he's, 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 he's he, smart lyrics, cleverly written. So which Slayford mods album should you listen to? Spare ribs. Fucking all, fucking all of them. You wankers. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, that was actually perfect. Yeah, uh, look, uh, you know, one of the great uh, things of rock, and this is actually a good opportunity to bring up another one of the curmudgeonly worldview tenets, which is dumb is not the same thing as bad. Uh, And just remember, they're not that dumb, Uh, really not that dumb. But what I mean by that is they clearly have a shtick, but it's a very, very good, very smart very clever shtick, which is the uh, the Cockney monologia over the Casio beats, uh, you know, the, the homemade Casio beats. And it's yeah. it, it's got an oddly hypnotic effect. Um, yeah. I would venture to guess, and again, I'm, remember, I'm, re- I'm retired from that, but I imagine that they green test awfully well. I haven't, I haven't tried it <laughs> with them, but I'd like to one day. Yeah, because I, I, because I, I really like you know that that kind of spoken that you know this kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, like I remember like Saul Williams records, which you know Saul Williams isn't much a so much a rapper as he is a poet. Uh, yeah, and so that kind of stuff always worked for me in my green test days. So um, anyway, that that was my endorsement for the legalization of marijuana uh, in this <laughs> episode of uh, the Commotion Rock Report. And again, you know, like I said, these, you know, these days I'm pretty much a teetotaler, but my wife and I do live across the street from the local drug dealers. So if I ever, <laughs> let's just put it this way, if she, if she ever has a bout of nausea, like she did again this week, I may just go across the street. And, and, and Arturo, come visit me. <laughs> yes. And speaking of marijuana, the next band on our list, number six. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, who, yeah. Uh, any band that names... Uh, uh, King, their band, uh, King Gizzard and the Liv- Lizard Wizard, uh, probably has marijuana somewhere uh, in their apartment. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, we are talking about King, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, which, uh, you know, has become kind of a trend. Like literally, this is a trend now because this is the third time in the six months of the history of this podcast that I'm talking about King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh, and, uh, that still doesn't make me as prolific as the actual King Gizzard, uh, <laughs> which, uh, so far in its existence here in the 2010 and beyond, uh, has arguably had the best quality control among the air's high output rock bands. We just talked about the OCs, uh, yeah. there's this one, uh, and then we're t- going to talk a- a- about another one at the very top of, of this list. Yeah. So, 
anyway, I would say that King Gizzard is a unique gift uh, to the modern rock world because I don't think you can literally, you can't describe them or their sound in five words or less. Uh, here's the best summary I can give. Uh, this band can do whatever the hell it wants and do it credibly. And most of the time they execute their experiments and shifts in personality very, very well. Uh, in 2021, they have released the very good LW, a purposefully micro microtonal prog romp, and the pretty good and clever Butterfly 3000. I know you hate it, but I like it. Uh, a synth-driven bubblegum pop concept record about out-of-body experiences and floating on clouds and other ethereal shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I guess emphasis on shit if, if you're in Arturo's camp. Uh, not mine. <laughs> Anyway, uh, they haven't been truly great since 2019's ecology-themed thrash metal record, uh, Infest the Rat's Nest. Fantastic album. Yeah, I love it. Which, believe it or not, was six albums ago at this point. Uh, <laughs> even so, Stu McKenzie is one of the most interesting, prolific, and talented band leaders in the world. And Ken Gizzard's brand of weirdness is one worth investing in here in this modern era. Uh, your thoughts uh, briefly, Arturo? Yeah, I mean, they have such a huge discography. Um, they started okay. They started out as just this raggedy garage punk band. Um, then they then they became a raggedy garage punk band with heavy psychedelia, heavy psychedelic elements. Then they evolved into a straight up psychedelic rock band. Then they started to like incorporate elements of like you know seventies German rock. I, I hate to use the word kraut rock. It's a horrible word, but I guess, yeah, elements of that into their music. Um, and then they got into, and then they, they incorporate that with uh, later other records of kind of acoustic jazz pop. Yeah. <laughs> they have elements of that folky jazz pop. Um, then they went into, uh, what else? Oh, yeah. They, then they went to the microtonal period. Yeah, of the middle mid Middle Eastern sounding guitars that were kind of psychedelic, but more on the in the realm of prog rock. Then they did their thrash metal excursion, which oddly enough is their best album to date. And then they went back to the flying. To, sorry, they went back to the microtonal Middle Eastern mm -hmm. sounding prog rock guitars. Yeah, uh, and now they're doing you know third rate craft work, shitty electronic yeah. pop. I so only let's see want what to bring you in my dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, which actually, I mean, I, I said I like that record. I, I think it's clever because, uh, look, the music fits the, the, the lyrical concept. You can't say that it's not inappropriate, you know? Yeah, or, yeah. Or it, 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 it isn't inappropriate, that's for sure. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I I enjoy King Gizzard, and I guess... I love, I love King Gizzard, too. I, I, I just wish, yeah. you know, they would have more quality control. Yeah, I, I guess in the division of labor uh, here in producing and uh, writing and preparing the Curmudgeon Rock Report, uh, I'm going to get the King Gizzard uh, workload. Uh, <laughs> I've pretty much established that. Again, this is the third time in what about the last seven or eight episodes that I've been. <laughs> you're, you're officially the King Gizzard guy on, the, on this Yeah, podcast. I was going to say I'm like the Stu McKenzie quote-unquote fanboy. Um, <laughs> go figure. So uh, from there, we go from ugly guys uh, uh, from Australia to prodigiously talented pretty blondes from America. Yeah. Well, she's not really a blonde. She's a brunette. But anyway. Okay, well, um, you know, well, multi-hair multi it goes in and yeah. out. She's blonde now uh, yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah. Number five, St. Vincent. Now, another asterisk must go here simply because 
St. Vincent, a.k.a. Annie Clark, is already a bona fide star. Yes. Um, she's been on the covers of magazines. She's won Grammy Awards, I think. Yes. Yes. Um, she's, she's the other Grammy winner on this. Yeah. On this she's list. she's uh, performed at the Grammys. Then why the hell don't you ever hear St. Vincent on the radio? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like she's got she's she's like a a star to the intelligentsia. Yeah. But yeah. She's you think she would be like this mainstream pinup or, you know, she. And- you know what I'm saying? That you know, like yeah. the, the little girls, like the little eight-year-olds. You think she'd be like as like as pop as uh, revered as Madonna or Cindy Lauper were in 19 or Taylor Swift or Taylor <laughs> Swift, actually. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, like, uh, didn't St. Vincent work with Taylor Swift for a little bit? She may have. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. But anyway, but anyway, go ahead. Her not being on the radio is exactly what qualifies her for being on the curmudgeon's parallel universe list of bands, artists who should be bigger than they are and would be in our parallel universe rock radio station. (laughs) To be honest, I'll be honest here. I'm not a fan of her early work. Uh, Her output from the naughties to the early teens just sounds to me like glorified, sappy Disney show tune crap. However, I believe the turning point came in her 2013 collaborative album with David Byrne. Yeah, I agree. Loved 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 this giant. After this album, it seemed St. Vincent realized, hey, it's okay to have pop hooks and catchy melodies and get funky and do some and really finally yeah. show off some of her rock guitar chops. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She's uh, she's a brilliant guitarist, actually. She yeah. you know, understated, but she's totally. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Her self-titled album from 2014, I was not only her breakthrough record, Masterpiece. It's also one of it's one of the best albums of the decade. Yeah. Uh, or, 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 yeah, the last 20 years really. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's angular yet funky, emotionally sincere yet ironically distant in parts. It is was is an art rock classic for those mourning the loss of David Bowie, yeah. not surprisingly and admittedly one of Annie Clark's absolute heroes. Yeah. And you can hear it. <laughs> uh, she followed that up with 2017's Mass Seduction, a very good, dark, heavy, electro-pop workout that delves into toxic relationships, drug addiction, and her struggles with her newfound fame. Yes. Her most, her most recent album, as Chris covered uh, in a few episodes ago, Daddy's Home came out this year and was already and uh, yeah, it was reviewed by you, Chris. And it is a rich, lush, decadent 1970s influenced production that lovingly recalls Steely Dan, Stevie Wonder, solo John Lennon, and of course, David Bowie. Yeah, and I was so, gonna say, Bowie's thin white Duke, uh, yeah, th- uh, you know, the thin white Duke period there, yeah, uh, like so. The, uh, young American stuff. Again, yeah. why doesn't this woman get radio airplay? I don't understand <laughs> it. Oh, but it, it's interesting though because she got magazine articles and like Vanity Fair and uh, some of the mainstream. I think the Atlantic. Or she she got a lot of press and you know photos yeah. and all that like prominent. So you know, I think very casual rock fans probably know who she is. Uh, yeah, yeah, and like you said, I like Daddy's Home. I mean, I got the cover. I like it too. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 interesting because it's essentially a concept record about one not only accepting fame and. Uh, and growing up, but also about her father who spent like a decade in prison for like being a, some sort of wall street fraudster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so this idea of, of getting over the bitterness of that whole thing. Um, so no, it's interesting. Yeah. St. Vincent has this, in, she's, she's 
got the gift of being simultaneously uh, raw but sly. Yeah, you know, she's she she can be very sly and very dry while still being raw in terms of her right. in terms of her voice and persona and right. those types of things. She's she's an interesting she's an interesting cat. So from one interesting female rocker <laughs> to, to another, another yeah. number four on our yeah. list. Yeah, this is uh, about as rock and roll as it gets. This is Amel and the Sniffers. Is it uh, Amel or Amel? It's Amel. Uh, it's well, Amel. I say an Amel. It's probably Amel or Amel. I know it refers to substances. It's uh, Amel nitrate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it should be Amel, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So Amel and the Sniffers. Uh, yeah. I only say Amel because, well, one, you know, I mean, I've never actually heard the substance, uh, the Huffer substance said out loud, yeah. but yeah. we're talking about a band uh, fronted by some woman named Amy. So Amy Taylor. Yeah, there you go. So here's my take on uh, Amel, Amel, they, them, he, she, it. Uh, anyway, uh, this is my take on this band. Uh, I know a lot of people who think that rock without balls isn't really rock at all. Uh, Arturo may be one of those people, and they live it like they listen to it. Uh, Amy Taylor is also clearly one of these people, and very yeah. fucking obviously one of these people. Uh, so uh, this band's self-titled album from 2019 is one of my favorite records of the past decade. Um, I have very few records that I got into that were released between 2005 and 2021 that were on obsessive repeat uh, for me for more than a month. And this was one of them. Uh, yet another Australian powerhouse on this list. There's yeah. a bunch of them. Uh, yeah. Taylor and her bandmates bash out and scream from the first second to the very last second. They also match attitude with punk musicianship effortlessly. Now, and catchy, catchy-ass songs, too. Yes. Now, the album is crafted as what I would will call a sonic blast sandwich. Uh, opening salvo, Starfire 500, and final summation, Some Mutts Can't Be Muzzled, uh, take up seven of the album's 29 total minutes. Now, with their long, muscly, dynamic intros, chugging riffs, and Taylor's guttural vocals, uh, self-assured on the verge of arrogance, uh, each song was clearly designed as a Radio Reading calling card for the band. It's pretty awesome stuff. Uh, yet uh, between them, but I would say that the meat between those slices is arguably more impressive. Uh, it's a nine-song downhill train ride through Taylor's horn dog and inebriated soul. Uh, speaking of which, if you want uh, for uh, the guys our age that still get off on like uh, punk goddess fantasies. Uh, go check out the video for some mutts can't be muzzled on, on yeah. YouTube. Uh, you'll you'll yeah. you'll thank me. Um, but anyway, so what I would say is that, um, like I said, it's this downhill train ride between uh, you know in, in her soul and uh, me personally. I love the song "Control," which is uh, two minutes and twenty five seconds of obnoxiousness at its finest. You know, <laughs> I love yeah. people. I love pissing people off. You know, uh, great stuff. <laughs> Uh, so Amel and the Sniffers make the kind of punk that produces the best kind of pithy rock criticism. Uh, Mojo called this record glorious chunder from down under. Uh, <laughs> Pitchfork tells us the album is so in and of the moment, it winds up obliterating the band's fetishization of the past. When goddamn Pitchfork can give me the perfect last word, then wow. The end. Yeah. 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 I also highly recommend their EP from 2017, yeah. Big Attraction. 
That's one of the best rock EPs of the last 20 years. This band can do no wrong. Great song, you know, I'm Not a Loser, Blowjobs, all great songs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I highly recommend that as well. Yeah, if I would describe Ammo and the Sniffers, it'd be like they take the the hardcore punk rock energy of Black Sabbath and put sorry about like Black Flag, not Black Sabbath. Sorry, <laughs> the hardcore yeah. the hardcore punk energy of Black Flag and put it into like down home dirty barroom rock, <laughs> you know, and that's basically what they are, and uh, they're really good at it. If, if somehow Black Flag and ACDC had a child, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be these guys and, yeah. and Lady. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to say that. Uh, no, that that's actually pretty good. Yeah, they've they've got the ACDC kind of you know oi 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 kind of attitude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know that kind of you know drinking and fucking kind of kind of attitude. But right. I don't know. They just write and sniffing. <laughs> yeah, and sniffing. Uh, no, they they just make uh, they just write great hooks. Uh, yeah, you know. I think the the my personal favorite riff on the record is the uh, the one to Starfire Five Hundred. I mean that yeah. thing just swings. You know that's just yeah. like it's, it's it's the kind of like bash out metal riff that you can just snap your fingers to. You know, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's really good. So on that note, right. now we're getting down to the home stretch. This is the uh, I, this is I think it's interesting on this list. Like I said, you know there was separation between eleven and twenty and ten and one. Now I think there's a pretty clear separation between 10 and four and three through one. Would you yeah, agree? It really is. Yes, I would. And number three is a, a guy we've mentioned already a few times in this episode, Kurt Vile. Number part, three. Part three of the Philadelphia trilogy. Right. Born and raised in Philadelphia and still living there with his wife and kids. Yes. Vile has been one of the world's greatest, most unique singer-songwriters in the rock realm for, for about time. a decade now. Yeah. For about a decade now. Uh, if anyone on this episode's countdown is a genuine superstar and would be in a better parallel universe Earth, it would definitely be Kurt Vile. Yeah, um, for sure. Talent. He's got talent slacker stoner charisma even though he swears he doesn't smoke pot <laughs> catchy catchy rock songs that appeal to both the folk and indie rock spectra fun and funny interviews i mean vile is the rolling stone and spin poster boy that they missed out on oh yeah i mean <laughs> yeah this guy is like rock star 101 i mean he's just yeah. like yeah he's just got that he's not even trying he just kind of is he yeah. just he, he has his own thing i mean he's amazing yeah so. so for those who haven't heard Kurt Vile, the music, imagine Lou Reed and Tom Petty having a bastard child and that bastard child gets stoned with pavement using weed bought from the meat puppets. <laughs> yet, <laughs> yeah. yet Vile does this without directly copying any of those influences, yeah. which is the sign of a great artist. Yeah. His, his melodic inventiveness and unique vocal phrasing really are all his own yes and he's got yeah. a he's got a beat and a, a tempo that yeah. is really just specially uniquely his yeah totally yeah no one sounds like him no one. yeah no one no one yeah no one constructs songs like him no one sounds like him yeah yeah and since 2011 he's released four albums of startling quality the first of that hot streak smoke ring for my halo is my personal favorite and it leans toward the folky side of vile Waking on a Pretty Days from 2013 leans towards swirling psychedelic guitar epics. 
uh, Believe I'm Going Down from 2015 has a very Californian 1970s Laurel Canyon country rock vibe. Yeah, it does. It's back, it's back porch all the way. Yeah. Baby. It's heavy on the pianos. Yep. You know, and Bottle It In from 2018 takes elements of the previous three albums and expands on them with subtle shades of classic rock and funk. Yeah. Uh, they are all essential listening. Yes, get them all. They're all great albums. Yes. Kurt Vile's the man. Yeah, Bot- Bottle In is my personal favorite record of the last five years uh, by anybody. I think if you mm. say the last five years, I think that this is my personal favorite and might not be an overstatement to say it's the best album uh, mm. of, of oh. those five years. Um, you know, it's definitely definitely my favorite album of that year, for sure. Yeah, of that year, yes. But I'd say overall in the last five years, I mean, what do you figure? You got the Run the Jewels album from last year. Uh, yeah. You King know, Gizzard's metal album. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I also like Kendrick Lamar's Damn. I've come around to that too. That's, yeah. that's up there as well. But, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, look, Bile is Bile special. He said, you know, he says he doesn't smoke pot, but he's like the poster child for what a stoner is supposed to look like. Uh, you know, very, <laughs> and sound like. <laughs> very funny. Uh, this, is a, this guy probably should invest in shampoo. Love you, Kurt, but invest in some shampoo. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's, um, uniquely talented he's very clever he's got this kind of uh, not deadpan but almost kind of like uh it's a, it's like wacky humor with a very straight understated delivery yeah kind of thing so he's, he's he's almost like a like a kind of a folky guy yeah but right with a, these pop sensibilities but i like bottle it in because you've got these like nine and ten minute long songs that just have this like mesmerizing effect yeah, they're very yeah. hypnotic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and then just just a lot of uh, stuff uh, that uh, that's in there. I mean, and it's weird because you've got these like wonderful, like you know, the title track is amazing. Um, you know, you've got uh, One Trick Ponies, uh, Bats Ackwards, which is probably my favorite thing on the record. But then you've also got Rolling with the Flow, which is you know back like let's let's put it this way. Uh, that's Bob Seger's best song that bob seger himself didn't write yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know and, yeah. and it, you know it here's a good point i mean i've said this and we had this conversation a long time ago like you know 1970s think of all the quote-unquote rock stars or radio stars that were ugly motherfuckers um, <laughs> you know, bob seger steely dan uh warren zevon you know all these guys that was before mtv well kurt Vile fits right into that to, to a team <laughs> I mean, he, he would have been right there with those guys man you know he would have probably you know you could have had an arena tour and you know, like he would have been opening for seager seager would have been opening for him and they would have been right there with, right there with each other so yeah well he, he he's a he is a humongous tom petty fan i've read that and he's yeah. a humongous neil young fan too which is weird because i don't necessarily hear that in the music um but he he is he's a he's a big he's a neil fanboy that rivals you chris yeah, on that I, regard, <laughs> I was going to say, and so, so maybe in terms of just structure and feel, yeah, know, that sort of natural kind of visceral, you know, kind of getting in tune with, you know, where you are and your and the kind of emotional translation. But I don't really hear Neil on the music, so it's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, we however, go- Neil is a big influence on this next artist, number two, major influence, uh, Courtney Barnett. Uh, simply put, this girl just rocks. Uh, yeah. and it's interesting that Kurt Vile and Courtney Barnett are side by side here on this list. And we'll get that into a second. Uh, like I said, this girl, she just rocks. Uh, there's not anyone in rock quite like her. Uh, 
mixing deadpan humor with sweet sincerity, uh, emotionally real and lyrically clever, uh, distinctive crunchy uh, electric guitar playing, and an instant accessibility on the level of a Kurt Cobain or a Jeff Tweedy, and no, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, The obvious starting point for discovering Barnett is her 2015 debut album and a masterpiece I've decided in doing my research for this uh, episode. Sometimes I sit and think, and sometimes I just sit. Uh, Much like that title, uh, the album sneaks up on you uh, with its inside honesty and heart embedded deep beneath the surface wit and wisecracks. Uh, The highlight for me is an illustration of loneliness. Uh, which is the, one of the best rock songs I've ever heard about a narrow but wonderful topic, uh, the yeah. butterflies that accompany the optimistic early stage of a romantic relationship. You know, I think we've all been up at night and, you know, you get to missing that person that you want to be with. And you're so you're kind of in this uh, like whimsical, like weird all over the place kind of state. Uh, great, great, great stuff. Uh, a close second for me is Aqua Profunda, which is a very funny uh, little two minute Diddy rocker that uh, doofully equates a schoolgirl girl crush to a swim meet. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 funny, and I really think Barnett is on a par with Anna Grandusio of the War on Drugs and uh, wielding her lyrical gifts. I sure, yeah, I, they're pretty much neck and neck. Um, a couple other things to say about uh, Courtney Barnett: she's got a gift for interpretation as a singer and arranger too, which she demonstrates with her cover of the Grateful Dead's new Speedway Boogie. Uh, which you can find on the 2016 tribute compilation, uh, Day of the Dead. Uh, it's all over the internet, but it's also all over the streaming uh, sites. Uh, she basically turns Jerry Garcia's country jam into this slinky, slithering, sexy, mid-tempo mystery. Uh, and it's really, really cool. Uh, finally, Barnett has talented friends, as she proved when she joined forces with the artist Arturo, who just talked about Kurt Vile, who's kind of like the Six Degrees guy on this list. Uh, a 2017 album that the two got, that these two folks created together. It's called Lot of Sea Lice or Lot of Sea Lice. A lot of lot of sea lice spelled as Lot of Sea Lice. Uh, it's a neat trick as it manages to fit Barnett's sound, depth, and humor into Vile's distinct uh, rim, rhythmic template and pinch it uh, for unironic detachment. Now, definitely check that record out. That's follow up to Sometimes I Think, which is 2018's Tell Me How You Really Feel. Uh, which is poppier, but grand, uh, nevertheless. Uh, Arturo, tell me how you feel about Courtney Barnett. I, I'm a huge fan. Um, Nirvana is also a big linchpin yes. influence on her. She's she's a huge Nirvana fan. She's mentioned it many times. And, it shows. and, and uh, tell me how you really feel as a track on it. Uh, I'm not your mother. I'm not your bitch. It's, it's the closest she's ever come to that kind of Kurt Cobain savagery. Yeah. You know, great, mm-hmm. great track. Need a little time is a great single from that album. Yeah, like really, I said, yeah. I mean, Courtney Barnett. I mean, really, she 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 was born twenty years too late. Yeah, <laughs> you know, had she it. been born in the sixties, she would have been a huge rock star in the nineties. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. She's she's just a gifted, gifted, gifted person. Uh, yeah. You know, just a great songwriter, great player, great. You know, she's. She's not really a singer in the classic sense. I mean, she's not Stevie no. Nicks, but she's, she she no. knows how to use her voice to really great effect to get yeah. her point she, across. She, she, she sings like Lou Reed sings, you know? She's yeah. that kind of vocalist. Exactly, you know? and very, very smart. Yeah. I mean, the lyrics are yeah. just off the charts. So, yeah, definitely yeah. go check her out. And okay. so, uh, drum roll, please. And if, you, yeah. if, if you've been listening to this podcast all along, this number one, uh, coming from me and Arturo will not be a shock in the least. Uh, yes. So rock and roll Jesus, right? 
Right, right. Number one, uh, number one art. He's he, he is he's not a band. It's a he. He's an artist. Uh, number one in modern rock right now. The man that I call rock and roll Jesus. Why? Because he's the savior of rock and roll. God damn it. Or at least he would be in a parallel universe version of Earth where rock music still matters. This is the one and only Ty Siegel. And uh, as you said once before, Chris, Siegel is really the one solo artist who kind of, well, we could make a case for Courtney Barnett as well, who is the flag bearer for the alternative nation and for rock as a countercultural force. In a better, more rock-friendly world, Ty Siegel would be as big as Pearl Jam. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, hailing from the artist friendly enclave of Laguna Beach, California, near Anaheim, uh, Siegel emerged in the late noughties with a series of self recorded, self produced albums of just really dirty, filthy, lo fi garage rock thrash. Yeah. Um, those aren't negative adjectives, by the way. The no, best rock no, they're roll, not. Yeah, like I the said, best rock and roll is supposed to be dirty and filthy. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and however, since 2011, with the album Goodbye Bread, Siegel has been on a prolific album run of brilliance, bordering on genius. Uh, the garage rock of his early recordings opened up and flowered into this virtuosic mix of psychedelic rock, glam rock, punk rock, heavy metal, grunge, blues rock, folk rock, country rock, and recently, progressive rock. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah. The two things that stand out about Siegel are the following, about Ty Siegel. He does, the number one, he does the maverick musical magpie shtick Better than any one person or band in the world. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, he's in the, in, he, he he does it better. In the last ten yeah. years, Siegel has out Jack Whited Jack White. He's out Becked Beck, and he's out Pollarded Robert Pollard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, which is like, that, that, that's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the OCs, he's incredibly prolific. Unlike a lot of overly prolific and inconsistent bands like Guided by Voices, however, the majority of Ty Siegel's output is simply fucking awesome. And number two, what makes it awesome? Okay, well, in addition to the subgenre mastery and the guitar wizardry, Siegel has become a virtuoso songwriter. Um, his melodic invention rivals Kurt Vile. And his lyrics have matured to include stinging yet very subtle socio-cultural commentary. So, with someone containing as dense a discography as Ty Siegel, where do you start? Well, as with the OCs, be thankful that you have the curmudgeons to guide you. Yes. <laughs> Here is a very brief, filtered primer on how to listen for Ty, how to listen to Ty Siegel. Are you ready? Here we mm -hmm. go. Let's start in chronological order. Goodbye Bread from 2011. Ty spreads his wings and gets in touch with his inner T-Rex and early David Bowie. Slaughterhouse from 2012. Ty delivers nasty, noisy, scorching garage punk 
And this is the album where Ty emerges as the heir apparent to Kurt Cobain. Next, Twins from 2012. Ty invents a new subgenre, glam grunge. (laughs) Think, Think mud honey with lots of melodic sweetness and catchy hooks. That's Twins. Next, Sleeper from 2013. Ty goes acoustic with some of his loveliest folk stylings. Next, Manipulator from 2014. Ty goes epic with perhaps his greatest album and one of the best albums of the decade. The greatest concoction of glam, grunge, punk, metal, and garage rock ever made. (laughs) Uh, Next, Emotional Mugger from 2016. Ty gets conceptual with his first foray into progressive rock. Lyrical ruminations about the infantilization and increased childlike behavior of society collide with gnarly, scronking, King Crimson-inspired heavy rock. Next, Ty Siegel, self-titled album from 2017. Ty goes all hippie jam band on us. Imagine Pearl Jam getting it on with the Grateful Dead. That's Mm -hmm. Ty Siegel's self-titled album. Next, Freedom's Goblin from 2018. Ty spreads his wings even further and augments his previous dabblings with heavy metal and hippie jam band music with electronica and Captain Beefheart-esque avant-garde rock. And next, First Taste from 2019. Ty dips his toes into something approaching acoustic prog rock maybe with strong Charles Mingus style horn arrangements and textures. And finally, there's Siegel's heavy metal side project called Fuzz, where he plays drums and the vocal and does the vocals. Mm-hmm. Their first two albums, 2013 self-titled and 2015's Roman Numeral Two, are all required listening and metal as it should be played, unlike the crap that passes for metal on contemporary corporate rock radio. Ty Siegel is rock and roll Jesus. The curmudgeons love you. Yes. And uh, there's not a whole lot I can add to that. Yeah. I mean, the guy is, the guy is good. He's, he's basically, he's in a way he's got kind of the better, uh, you know, I said that King Gizzard is like one of those bands that can be anything the hell they want. Ty Siegel's kind of that same way. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, the thing about him is he, he kind of look, seems like a goofball, but he's got to be like the most confident guy in the world. Yeah. You know, in terms of being able to just like, he just like steps in and just like, he just kind of effortlessly tosses off these things and just, just great rock and roll persona, great songwriter, you know, just great, you know, just uh creative mind on the guy, you know, yeah, he can, he can kind of play by the rules and not play by the rules. Uh, and yeah, he just, ha- he is rock and roll. He is rock. He's the living embodiment of rock and roll. And he, he's a great interview too. Yep. And uh, he's another one like Kurt Vile and Courtney Barnett. Those three should be poster boys <laughs> yes. know, for, for Rolling Stone and Spin yes. oh, and girls too. <laughs> yeah, abso- absolutely. And so if there was going to be an album cover or a uh, magazine cover to this here episode of Curmudgeon Rock, it would yeah. be the three, uh, Kurt Vile, Courtney Barnett, and Ty Siegel. Uh, they're yeah. kind of the super friends of uh, yeah. of the parallel universe.
Now, uh, here we are uh, in uh, our vaults, and we call this segment the vault uh, because Arturo and I have been known to dig deep into the rock and roll uh, vaults. I know that the music to this segment, you hear gold coins falling, and uh, yet we have deep, deep, deep uh, buckets of gold coins. And so every week we pull one of those out. So Arturo, what are you uh, extracting from your vault this week? Yeah, so this is another Australian band. Go figure. We we, we need more. I hope like... Our listeners are mostly Australian because yeah, I was going to say Foster's Australian for beer, Curmudgeon Rock yeah. Report Australian for uh, Rock Nerd Podcast. Exactly, and this is by another, like I said, an Australian band, The Drones, and their 2005 album "Wait Long" by the River and the Bodies of Your Enemies will float by. Love the album. <laughs> Hailing from the beautiful yet remote oceanside city of Perth. The Drones have been one of Australia's most beloved bands for almost 20 years. They've been on hiatus since 2017, but this just gives us more reason to take a relatively very short trip down memory lane and revisit their second and what is generally considered to be their greatest album, the convolutedly titled, one more time, Wait Long by the River and the Bodies of Your Enemies Will Float By. (laughs) for the record the album title comes from a quote by the italian novelist and philosopher umberto eco so yeah these guys are pretty well read (laughs) um the drones have always had a kind of more or less a revolving door of musicians with the one constant member being singer songwriter guitarist gareth lydiard after their debut album kind of a hodgepodge affair of covers and originals called Here Come the Flies, it failed to gain any interest from fans or critics in 2002. Uh, Shortly after that album, Lydiard and the boys and girls quickly hunkered down to write and record the material that would make up Wait Long by the River. Now, the album was actually done by the end of 2003, but the band unhappy with how their label spooky records promoted their first album uh they spent all of 2004 touring the country australia that is and gathering enough money to buy out their contract with spooky infidelity recordings another australian indie label were interested in the band and signed them up now it was smart to go with infidelity this is the label after all that released albums in australia by notable bands such as the Butthole Surfers, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., Mud Honey, Pavement, and the John Spencer Blues Explosion, and broke all those bands and exposed them to rock audiences down under. It turns out they didn't need to work that hard to promote the drones. (laughs) As soon as the album came came out, it pretty much set the music press on fire in both Australia and beyond, and was hailed as an instant classic, a distinction that it carries to this day. Uh, In print, online, in the blogosphere, in Pitchfork, in Mojo, which is how I discovered this band, allmusic.com, Stereogum, you name it. You name the music media outlet, they praise the drones and wait long by the river in particular to no end. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to it, it's easy to see why. 
<laughs> uh, lyrically, it takes the long character-driven narratives of peak period Bob Dylan. If Dylan's characters were all manically depressed, alcoholics, obsessed with death. Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> and, much. <laughs> and, and, and couches them with a sound that incorporates the epic guitar crunching of Neil Young with Crazy Horse, the art-damaged experimentalism of the Velvet Underground, the post-punk intensity of the birthday party, Nick Cave's old band, and the sweeping bombast of Ben's era Radiohead. And, strange, yes. and strangely enough, the uh, the gentle and uh, uh, artistic guitar playing of uh, Thompson. Richard yeah, Thompson. definitely. Richard, Richard yeah. Thompson. There's yeah. definitely echoes of his uh, of his guitar technique. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And uh, we we just we we just described a mouthful, and yes. that is pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. And let's face it: when Neil Young, Lou Reed, Nick Cave, Tom York, and Richard Thompson are your obvious musical touchstones, <laughs> you will you will have music critics on your side. Yeah, I was going to say that that pretty much <laughs> makes you critic proof. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, Shark Fin Blues, the first track and single from the album, great song, has has gone down in history as one of Australia's greatest rock anthems, kind of akin to an Aussie version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Quite possibly the most uplifting, anthemic, bombastic song ever written about depression. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. National radio station and overall music tastemaker in Australia, Triple J, voted that song as the greatest Australian song of all time in 2009. Uh, what, what, better than Blue Sky Mining? Yeah. Uh, better, be- than, uh, better than Need You Tonight? Uh, uh, it's interesting that uh, we get to end this. 180 degree opposite for the yes, next album. Yes, one, yeah, or the next <laughs> albums. Uh, and so this is uh, an interesting thing because, you know, I've got many sides of my rock and roll personality and, and, and journey and, and formation and formative stuff. Uh, old school hip hop. Uh, this has been a tough year to be an aging hip hop head uh, and fan. Uh, if you're in your 40s, 50s and even 60s, uh, what you're starting to see now is literally the uh, edge of uh, the the most clever and funny uh, guys and folks from the uh, the old school, but not only that, but kind of the '90s. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people wouldn't call DMX funny, but I always thought that his delivery. I mean, the guy was definitely smart and entertaining, and you know, he he had a shtick. Uh, we're not talking about DMX on this one, uh, but. <laughs> But we're talking, so I'm going to do two records. Again, it's been a year. There's been several people that have died in the last couple of months. Uh, Shock G of Digital Underground uh, died in a hotel in Florida at the age mm. of uh, 57. I think he was wow. 56, 57. Uh, he's older than I, he's older than I thought he was. Yeah, no, he's you know he had been around for a while when when they broke out there. Remember, it's been thirty years, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, since this. So uh, so he died, and then uh, just last week, Bismarcky uh, died, and mm. you know Bismarcky, uh, known as the clown prince of uh, of hip hop, but so much more than that. Uh, they both were fifty six, fifty seven, um, and uh, there was a really good article that I read back a while in the New Yorker. Uh, and it didn't really go into depth, but it made the point and was kind of a, a meditation on this idea that, uh, you know, hip hop for the artists in their 20s and 30s is awesome and you can become popular and all of this. 
but then the party's over and then you fade and then the young pups come in and they forget about you. And they, not only that, they don't take care of you. And so what ends up happening is you get these drug overdoses or uh, lack of self-care or, you know, not, not particularly aging well um, Mm -hmm. and dying young. And so here we have Shock G and uh, Bismarck Key that are two of these. So this was a good opportunity. Uh, these are two of the funniest and smartest and cleverest people that ever performed in hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we'll, we'll do two albums. I'll do just brief runs through these albums. So Digital Underground Sex Packets uh, came out uh, the turn of 1989, 1990. Uh, Tupac was in the group at this point. Tupac yes. Shakur. Tupac Shakur got his start as a backup dancer in. Uh, of all things in digital underground, which yeah. was based in the Bay, uh, in, uh, Oakland slash, uh, San Francisco. Now, uh, back in 1990, no matter how old you were, whether white or black, whether, uh, male or female, everyone got busy in a Burger King bathroom. And that was, <laughs> uh, in due in a large part to Humpty Hump, uh, which was one of several alter egos that, um, uh, which McCall it, uh, had, uh, in, uh, uh, you know, shock G, uh, that he had in his arsenal. Uh, the guy, the, with Humpty, the, the Humpty dance was everywhere. Oh yeah. I mean, it's an amazing song. I mean, it's, and it's, it's funny. It's clever. Awesome beat. I said, shock G was a, he was a genius producer. He's, he's the guy, not Dr. Dre. He's the guy that brought P funk into the sample vocabulary yeah. of hip hop, uh, mm-hmm. first. And they would go all over the place. And so Sex Packets, is it's a very clever, very fun, in some spots, very funny record where Shock G comes into all of his personas. He was the Andy Kaufman of hip hop, basically. Mm. And he took yeah. it to the extreme, like in the Humpty, the famous Humpty uh, dance video. That's not him <laughs> you know, in the in the, in the fake nose and all that. He, he They actually hired another dude to play Humpty to kind of play <laughs> up the shtick and and, you know, he always did the thing in interviews where he would do interviews over the phone in the personas and not only, and he made sure that he, he kind of kept up the, the ruse. And so it was very fun. But anyway, uh, good producer, good rapper. And the out al- this album, uh, it's a party record, but also has some tough, uh, you know, the Oakland hip hop thing. I mean, this is too short. This is E40. So there is a little bit of that toughness. Uh, to yeah. it. So it's a combination of funk party music and some hardcore sparse, you know, kind of, uh, drum, uh, beats from, you know, kind of the, the drum 808 kind of stuff from that era. And then you've got Bismarck keys going off, uh, which is an absolute classic. Uh, one of the funniest albums, not just in hip hop, but rock, one of the funniest albums and one of the coolest albums ever made. Uh, Bismarck, uh, basically he got famous, first for beatbox he was one of the original beatboxers like my opinion he wasn't as good as dougie fresh but he was cooler than dougie fresh in the way he did it it was endearing uh his beatboxing and so you take him and you take that goofy voice kind of the deep kind of voice and so marley marl a genius and big daddy kane a genius worked with bismarck key in his own way a genius and they came out with this record called going off uh, Big Daddy King ghost wrote most of the lyrics. Marley Morrow did all of the beats. Marley Morrow is he's from uh, of uh, Cool G Rap and uh, the Symphony and Big Daddy King theme, uh, you know, fame. Uh, one of the best producers in the history of hip hop, and it's just this brilliantly, goofily sophomoric uh, record. You know, uh, 
Pickin' Boogers, uh, Vapors, which is just mm-hmm. a, a legitimately great hip hop song. Uh, I'll Be Square Mall, which is one of my favorite titles of all time. Another, if you grew up in uh, the New York area, you will enjoy this one. Nobody Beats the Biz. And so, <laughs> and so what this is, it's these great kind of clever, spare, uh, banging Marley Marl beats with these really clever, fun, uh, flowing lyrics from Big Daddy Kane, who's like one of the great persona guys. That that not only did he build up his own persona as the ladies' man, he built up Biz Marquis' uh, persona as the as the jokester, uh, and then Biz's voice. All right. So we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, the next one, Chris. You know what we're doing for the next episode? Yes, Prince versus Michael, Part Two, Chapter Two, Chapter, chapter Two. two. Ooh, because we're, this we're is making this a book. It's a book. It's an epic. The Curmudgeon Rock Report will keep on rocking if you do. Catch us where you catch all the podcasts. We know you love rock and roll as much as we do. Support us with donations at patreon.com slash curmudgeonrock. Find show notes and more on our Medium site. Join us next time as rock nerds smack you with knowledge. Stay rude. Stay crude. Stay sophisticated. Thank you for listening.